Speaker Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sanz from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about PFAS disposal. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. The world's tropical forests are rapidly losing their ability to absorb carbon from the atmosphere. A study published in the journal Nature found that in 15 years, the Amazon would turn from a carbon absorber into a carbon emitter due to wildfires, deforestation, and the excessive greenhouse gases pumped into the atmosphere. The International Consortium of European and African Scientists, led by researchers from the University of Leeds, studied more than 300,000 trees over the course of 30 years in the Amazon and the African tropics. The researchers found climate models that typically predict that tropical forests will serve as carbon sinks for decades are inaccurate. Instead, the decades of analysis found that the uptake of carbon into the world's tropical forests actually peaked in the 1990s. The researchers found that back in the 1990s, intact tropical forests were absorbing almost 5 billion tons of carbon dioxide every year, according to Simon Lewis, professor of global change science at University College London. This has slumped to an estimated half the number of tons each year over the last decade. Tropical forests have been helping us, but that help is starting to wane. Man-made emissions continue to climb year after year, which is taxing already oversaturated tropical forests, which account for around half of all land-based carbon absorption. The oversaturation is threatening the forest's ability to provide people with medicine, food, shelter, and water. Many industrialized nations aim to offset their greenhouse gas emissions by restoring forests, but that might not be enough. The new research shows that preserving forests may not be enough in the absence of cutting emissions. To conduct the research, the scientists combined data from two large research networks of forest observations in Africa and the Amazon. They also spent years in remote field sites. Researchers tagged individual trees and measured them and estimated the height of every single tree within over 500 individual patches of forest. The researchers returned every few years to repeat the process, enabling them to figure out the carbon stored in the trees that survived and the ones that died. Their calculations showed 
that the African tropics have been more resilient than the Amazon, but both are now on a worrying trend line. At a time when we need to be phasing out fossil fuel production and transitioning to renewable energy, the Maritime Administration and the Army Corps of Engineers are considering approving a massive crude oil export terminal with a storage facility and offshore pipeline. The project is called Seaport Oil Terminal, or SPOT. The companies behind SPOT are Chevron and Enterprise Product Partners. The Corps of Engineers is currently reviewing the project's application for a deepwater port license, and the Maritime Administration is evaluating the draft environmental impact statement. SPOT would be the first terminal of its kind in the U.S. SPOT would cut the cost of exporting U.S. crude oil. The project would load up to 2 million barrels of crude oil per day, into massive oil tankers for export to foreign markets, which are driving fossil fuel extraction in the Permian Basin in the southwestern part of the U.S. Spot would be off the coast of Freeport, Texas. Spot and the 168-mile supporting pipeline pose extreme threats to Texas waterways, shoreline, and Gulf waters. In just a few weeks, Spot has gone from being unknown generating major opposition from directly affected city governments, landowners, and other community members. Representative Chelly Pengree, Democrat of Maine, has introduced the Environmental Resilience Act, comprehensive legislation that would enable reaching net-zero greenhouse gas emissions in U.S. agriculture by the year 2040. An organic farmer for more than 40 years, Henry says the bill is designed as a roadmap to sequester more carbon in the soil and reduce overall greenhouse gas emissions by supporting farmers where they are. Currently, agricultural activities contribute 8.4% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. To reach net zero agricultural emissions within the next 20 years, the bill focuses on six policy areas and offers solutions rooted in science that are farmer-driven. The bill's goals are, one, increasing research, two, improving soil health, three, protecting existing farmland, four, supporting pasture-based livestock systems, five, boosting investments in on-farm energy initiatives, and six, reducing food waste. Recently, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, announced its Agricultural Innovation Agenda, which aims to cut U.S. agricultural emissions in half by 2050. Pingree's bill would help USDA reach this goal more quickly by expanding the agency's authority and increasing funding for key USDA programs. A federal judge in Alaska ruled last Wednesday against a Trump administration plan to open nearly 2 million acres of America's largest national forest to logging. The Forest Service plan targeted part of the Tongass National Forest on Prince of Wales Island in southeast Alaska. It would have been the largest sale of national forest timber in 30 years, Earth Justice pointed out permitting miles of new roads and clearing an area of forests three times the size of Manhattan, more than half of it old growth. 
but U.S. District Court Judge Sharon Gleason ruled that the plan violated the National Environmental Policy Act because the agency did not take all of its potential impacts into account. Quote, the magnificent ancient forests of the Tongass just got a reprieve from the chainsaws, end quote. Randy Spivak, public lands director at Center for Biological Diversity, said in the Earth Justice press release, quote, We're thrilled that the court agreed that the Trump administration broke the law when it approved cutting thousands of acres of old-growth trees. It's critical to protect our remaining old-growth forests to have any chance of stopping the extinction crisis and slowing climate change, end quote. Prince of Wales Island is an important location for subsistence hunting and fishing, but the Forest Service did not say in its plans where logging would take place, which meant it was impossible for the local community to meaningfully respond to the plan. A new federal bill, introduced by Senator Tom Udall and Representative Alan Lowenthal, would force the plastic industry and food and beverage companies to take responsibility for the plastic pollution they create. The Break Free from Plastic Act of 2020 is the first bill to shift the responsibility for plastic pollution from consumers to the companies that produce plastic. The bill would hold major plastic polluters such as Nestle, PepsiCo, and Coca-Cola accountable for polluting the planet with single-use plastic items. Plastic waste, most of it from single-use processed food and drink packaging, contaminates our drinking water, soil, air, and waterways, including the ocean, where it injures and kills the wildlife there. The Break Free from Plastic Act would also place a ban on certain single-use plastics that are non-recyclable and prohibit plastic waste from being shipped overseas to developing countries. The North Dakota Public Service Commission, or PSC, has approved expansion of the Dakota Access Pipeline, or DAPL, in a three-to-zero vote. Several years ago, before the pipeline was constructed, it was the subject of massive resistance by indigenous water protectors and environmental activists world over. The pipeline project went through anyway. If the pipeline's operator receives the same approval in Iowa and Illinois, DAPL's capacity will double to over a million barrels of oil per day. The PSC claimed in a recent announcement that expansion was in the best interest of the state's citizens, but the agency is ignoring the valid concerns raised by the Standing Rock Sioux tribe about the increased threat of spills. When the tribe requested more information from the DAPL operator about the risks that doubling oil flow would hold for tribal water supplies, the PSC denied the request, citing bureaucratic procedure. In the 15 years before DAPL began operations, 60 leaks spilled over 42,000 barrels of toxic crude oil in North Dakota alone. As the tribe says, Quote, this was the reason we stood in prayerful resistance to stop DAPL. This is why we faced rubber bullets, attack dogs, and war cannons. We are facing down a threat to our water, and now that threat is heightened. End quote. The tribe is readying for another battle for its water. It's planning a major festival and teach-in this year at Standing Rock that will bring musicians, activists, and scientists together to confront the climate crisis. 
Recent research shows that worldwide nuclear power harms and kills animals, both domestic and wild. The intake system of a reactor currently under construction in England would suck in at least 250,000 fish a day. Sea turtles continue to be captured and killed at a nuclear power plant in Florida. That occurrence has gone on for decades because the owner refuses to install an excluder device. The Grand Canyon, home to 447 species of birds, 91 species of mammals, and 48 species of reptiles, is under threat of being mined for uranium, a critical element for reactors and nuclear weapons. Today, 34 years after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in Ukraine, animals thousands of miles from the site are still enduring damage from radioactivity. The impacts of serious nuclear power plant accident on animals are obvious. What's not as obvious is that the nuclear industry harms and kills animals at every phase, including existing and proposed uranium mines, operating reactors, potential new reactors, and nuclear waste dumps. Previously, we recorded that several Western states were using M44, so-called cyanide bombs, which are intended to trap and kill wolves, but accidentally kill other wildlife, animals, and pets on public land. The good news is that the Center for Biological Diversity and Allied Conservation Organizations recently finalized an agreement setting strict limits on how and where federal agents can kill wolves in Idaho and banning the use of cyanide bombs throughout the state. The agreement also bans the use of snares to kill wolves on public lands. The new limits on wolf snares and the cyanide bomb ban will hold until the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Services finishes a comprehensive analysis of the environmental impact of killing wolves. The misnamed Wildlife Services kills wildlife that's supposedly threatening livestock. Lindsay Laris, Wildlife Program Director of Wildlife Guardians, said, quote, For far too long, Wildlife Services has pursued a program of indiscriminate wolf killing in Idaho and elsewhere. Instead of killing wolves as a first resort, Wildlife Services should stop using our taxpayer dollars to kill native wildlife and instead focus its efforts on non-lethal methods, which evidence demonstrates work better to reduce livestock losses, end quote. Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley announced that what he calls the largest municipal solar array in the country at a precedent recently, quote, Cities need to take action, and that's exactly what Cincinnati is doing. We are spending money we would already spend on power to buy lower-cost renewable energy that also benefits the community, end quote, Cranley said. Once complete, according to the release from the city, the 100-megawatt solar farm will provide renewable energy to all city facilities and serve city residents through the Cincinnati Electric Aggregation Program, reducing the region's annual carbon emissions by over 150,000 tons. The solar farm will be installed east of downtown Cincinnati in Highland County, the city says. It will cover 1,000 acres containing 300,000 solar panels, enough to power 25,000 homes every day.
that he says the energy produced by the solar array is the yearly equivalent of keeping 150 million pounds of coal in the ground, removing 30,000 cars from the road, or planting 2 million trees. The city will not pay any upfront costs toward the construction of the solar farm. The actual contract is a power purchase agreement where the city will purchase electricity at a fixed rate for 20 years. The project was achieved through support from the Bloomberg American Cities Climate Challenge, a two-year acceleration program that helps cities beat carbon emission goals. Cincinnati is one of 25 cities chosen in October 2018. Quote, Cincinnati was selected as a winner in the American Cities Climate Challenge because Mayor Cranley's commitment to ambitious and impactful climate solutions, solutions which not only reduce carbon emissions, but also protect public health and create jobs, end quote. Bloomberg Philanthropy's head of environmental programs, Antha Williams, said. A pair of Indiana University experts are among those who testified in Indianapolis to the Indiana arm of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights about the status of lead exposure in the state. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about PFAS disposal. The U.S. military is always watching for threats. Highly trained soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines operate billions of dollars worth of equipment every day. Vehicles and aircraft full of explosive fuel through accident or enemy action can combust. To put out those types of fires, the military developed a type of firefighting foam that could quickly and effectively douse equipment and extinguish flames. But over time, science proved that the main chemicals used to produce the foam was toxic, and the military eventually decided to do away with its foam. Two Indiana-based hazardous waste treatment companies are playing a leading role in the incineration of the U.S. military stockpiles of that toxic firefighting foam and have landed in the middle of a legal battle. Indianapolis-based Heritage Environmental Services LLC and Merrillville-based Trade Bee Treatment and Recycling LLC signed on as contractors to incinerate millions of gallons of the U.S. Department of Defense's PFAS-laden aqueous film-forming foam. Environmental advocacy groups from around the country have sued to annul the contracts and stop the incineration of AFFF stockpiles until it can be proven that all PFAS chemicals are broken down and all possible emissions are eliminated. PFAS are a group of man-made chemicals that have been used to coat and protect consumer goods since the 1940s. Teflon, Gore-Tex, and thousands if not millions of other familiar products are made with chemicals in the PFAS family. It's also used to fight fires. During the 1960s, the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory and the 3M Corporation developed PFAS aqueous film-forming foam to suppress aviation fuel fires. The foam proved effective and was made available to civilian firefighters in the 1970s. While companies found the chemicals extremely useful, no one really knew what effect they would have on human health. Researchers found that PFAS chemicals were linked to a series of adverse health conditions, including liver damage, pregnancy-induced hypertension, lowered birth weight, and an increased risk of developing certain types of cancer. The chemicals were also found to be persistent, meaning they stayed in the environment years after they were used. A series of lawsuits revealed that 3M and other PFAS manufacturers knew about the toxicity and persistence of the chemicals for decades, 
One of those lawsuits was made into a 2019 movie starring Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway. I haven't seen it, but it looks pretty good. Anyway, in 2016, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency issued drinking water health advisories for PFAS and PFOA, only two of the more than 5,000 known PFAS chemicals. Several months before the health advisory was released, the U.S. Department of Defense began to take steps to identify and address elevated levels of the two chemicals. This is Maureen Sullivan, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Environment. To prevent further releases into groundwater, DOD issued policy in January of 2016 requiring the military departments to stop using AFFF during maintenance, testing, and training. The policy also required the military departments to remove and properly dispose of supplies of AFFF containing PFAS. Several military installations in Indiana were found to have varying levels of PFAS contamination, including the former Grissom Air Force Base near Kokomo, Jefferson Proving Ground near Madison, Holman Field in Terre Haute, and Naval Surface Warfare Activity Crane in Martin County. The contamination was traced back to firefighting foam testing. The military services began planning to move on from the PFAS foam and to get rid of the stockpiles it had left. That's where the Hoosier-based companies come in. At Heritage Environmental Services, we offer a complete portfolio of waste services to meet any challenge. At our core, we are innovative problem solvers. We're proud to be an industry leader in research and development and are committed to helping our customers solve their biggest challenges. The Defense Logistics Agency, the DOD support agency, entered into a 30-month contract with Heritage Environmental Services LLC in 2016 to begin destroying the chemicals through incineration. In 2018, the DLA contracted Trade B Treatment and Recycling LLC, the company based in Merrillville, to handle AFFF incineration in the eastern and central U.S., which also includes Indiana. Heritage received a 30-month contract to handle AFFF in the western U.S. in May 2019, with the option to extend a further 30 months. Both companies are now responsible for the incineration of millions of gallons of PFAS, AFFF-contaminated solids, liquids, and sludges. At issue, though, is where that incineration has taken place, where it will happen in the future, and how that will affect the health and air quality of people living near those facilities. The location and number of facilities used by the companies to fulfill their contracts is not being disclosed. We tried to reach out to the companies but did not get a response. It turns out the companies are contractually bound to not release any statements to the news media. And the DLA, the company that offered the contract, said it could not answer our questions due to ongoing litigation. Earth Justice, the organization representing the concerned groups in court, was able to verify AFFF was incinerated at nine facilities, including three facilities in Illinois and Ohio, states bordering Indiana. The EPA and Department of Defense admit that there is limited emissions data to determine the safety of AFFF incineration or its effect on people living near the incineration sites. In short, they don't know whether it's safe to burn AFFF foam or even what effect the incineration will have on the surrounding community. The incineration contracts did come with strict rules for selecting incineration sites. Although the foam is not considered a hazardous waste by the EPA, the companies can only use facilities with EPA hazardous waste permits that are also approved by the DLA as qualified facilities. Further narrowing the pool of potential incineration facilities is the fact that the only way to eliminate PFAS chemicals completely is through incineration at temperatures greater than 1,000 degrees Celsius or 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit. The companies contracted to carry out the AFFF incineration have headquarters in Indiana, but are they using facilities here and potentially putting Hoosiers at risk? 
The Indiana Department of Environmental Management, the state agency charged with protecting the environment and human health, said it was unaware of any combustion unit in the state receiving firefighting foam. Here's the interesting thing, though. The DLA lists six Indiana facilities as qualified facilities to carry out DLA hazardous waste disposal contracts. Two of those facilities are owned by the companies contracted to carry out the AFFF incineration. One facility, located in East Chicago, is owned by Trade B Treatment and Recycling, LLC. Another facility in Indianapolis is owned by Heritage Environmental Services, LLC. The sites are not among the permitted hazardous waste combustion facilities list provided to us by IDEM, but they are listed by IDEM as permitted hazardous waste treatment, storage, and or disposal facilities. The groups involved in the lawsuit say the Department of Defense should find new ways to protect people from PFAS contamination without potentially exposing more people to the chemicals by incinerating them. The case is set to be heard by the Northern District of California later this year. The Department of Defense has decided to study PFAS destruction and disposal further. In the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, Congress set a one-year deadline for setting policy for PFAS destruction and disposal. That includes the potential for releases of PFAS substances during destruction, its effect on people living near the destruction sites, and setting policies for testing and monitoring air, water discharge, and soil near those sites. For Eco Report, I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall. West 6 near the Courthouse Square and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrico Sands. David Lyman wrote the script. 
and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's shows. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan, and this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.